I'm Natalie Walton, and this is Imprint, a podcast about creating a life you love. Before we start today's episode, I just want to thank you for listening and give you a quick reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review it wherever you're listening to it today or share with a friend. That's something that I often do when I find a podcast or an episode that I know will be of interest to my friends in some way. All right, let's get on with today's episode. Hello everyone, this week I'm talking with an expert on a topic that can have a big impact on how you feel every single day. And even if you're a man who's listening to this episode, if you have a female partner or daughters, I think it's so important to educate yourself on what women experience in their bodies so that perhaps your home can be a little more harmonious and happy. To help us learn more today, I'm talking with Emma Rabbage, a naturopath and educator on women's health. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to finally kind of meet in person, as it were, even though we're doing this on Zoom and have a chat. I've really enjoyed um, following you on Instagram and all the insights that you share there. It's such a informative and great way that you use Instagram. I love accounts like that, that are very intentional and thoughtful with what you put out there. And I've really learned so much, even just in the short time that I've been following you. And so I wanted to guess, just dig a little bit deeper in some of the things that you've discussed on there, because I found them really helpful. But before we do, Can you just tell us a little bit about you and um, I guess what you do, but also a little bit about your backstory as well, like where you grew up and and your journey um, to becoming a naturopath and and working in this field? Yes, of course. Well, thank you for having me on here, Natalie. So I grew up in Sydney at the beginning of my life. My parents split up when they were three. So when I was three. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my brother, sister and I and my mom moved in with my grandparents in Sydney. And so we lived there until I was about seven and then we moved to Port Macquarie. So I called Port Macquarie home um, and it was just such a beautiful, it was a really lovely childhood growing up by the beach and in a small town. It was really grounding. I actually, we didn't grow up with naturopaths. We grew up with doctors. So I didn't actually know what a naturopath was until I was in my early 20s. And I guess the path that brought me into studying naturopathy was, it it was really um, shaped by my 20s. I I moved to London in my early 20s and I was a fashion model and I saw a lot of women not really treating themselves very well, um, under eating and over exercising and going on these fad diets. And I actually started to do the same. I guess you're a product of your environment. And I started restrictive eating as I became pescatarian and, um, really just monitored what I ate. I over-exercised and around this time I was experiencing really severe anxiety and just not feeling myself, not sleeping well. And I guess it was a whole array of things, you know, being so far away from home and being in quite an intensive industry. 
But I was on the pill at that time, on the oral contraceptive pill, and I decided, you know, maybe this is contributing to my anxiety. So I decided to go off it and just see if that would be a factor. And I subsequently lost my period or didn't, my period did not return for around three years. So it was a long time. And during these years, I saw doctors and gynecologists and acupuncturists and really tried to figure out what was going on, why I didn't have my period. And I was diagnosed with PCOS and, you know, some of the dots that uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. So it is now, in my opinion, very much overdiagnosed and it's really important to get all the tests to ensure that you have it. But I basically was told if I ever wanted to conceive, I'd, I'd have to have IVF and all of these really, really scary things as a young woman. So I started to take it into my own hands and I was doing a lot of research into nutrition and how this affects hormones and your overall health. And I, one, one um, Christmas on my trip back to Sydney to visit my family, I decided on a whim to sign up to do a, a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutrition just to see, you know, maybe I was really interested in it and this might help my journey. And then while I was doing that, I started to be my own guinea pig and I started to realize that food is medicine and started shifting what I was eating. I actually changed from nutrition into naturopathy after a year because I felt that it had more tools in the toolbox that you could use. You could utilize herbal herbal medicine. And I sort of was my own guinea pig and I, I started seeing a naturopath as well. And I finally, after shifting so many things in my life, my period returned and I was so ecstatic. And this, this journey really made me realize how important it is to have a menstrual cycle and to have balanced hormones, you know, to feel yourself as a woman, to feel your best self, your most lively, brightest, real you. So that's sort of the journey that brought me to where I am and to be so passionate about women's health and hormones and just really tuning in with yourself and understanding what each of us need. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that really resonated for me was, um, I guess I should say that, so how I came across you, which is, you know, when you're working in a, uh, working and living in a small area. So mm. your husband has <laughs> been working on my property doing the landscaping mm. and, um, and he mentioned what you were doing and I came across your work that way. And, um, then I remember seeing one of the posts that you did about, um, your periods and the symptoms. And I remember reading them and I thought, I mean, I'm in my early thirties, early thirties, early forties. This <laughs> <laughs> is giving myself a little bit of an age cut there. Um, but I'm in my early forties and I remember reading some of them thinking, oh, that's actually a technical symptom of it. Now I'm a you know, I like to think of myself as a fairly intelligent woman and a fairly informed woman. And it just, it really blew me away that something that is part of who I am as a woman, and it's something that I go through every month. And yet I was like, oh, I thought that was just me. Mm. And, 
And because we don't talk about this, and yet this has such a huge impact on how we feel like every day, because you kind of go through all the different parts of your cycle all the time. And I've got two young daughters. One is um, nearly nine and one's just turned seven. And one of the things that, um, you know, I'm really conscious of educating them about their bodies and, and their health. And, and so, yeah, for me, it really struck me how um, we really don't have, many of us have that much knowledge about our own bodies. Mm. And, and I know that you deal a lot with fertility, but it's, you know, it's not just that. It's not just, you know, obviously if you want to get pregnant, but at how you function as a person and, and even, um, I'll just sort of say one other thing about, I guess, my own story as well is that I, um, I think, you know, we all have our own stories in relation to our health and our bodies and, and the journeys that we've been on. But one of the big things for me was quitting sugar about, eight years ago. It was actually after I had my eldest daughter. And look, I'm not restrictive about it. And if there's somebody's birthday and I go, <laughs> but I, I certainly noticed once I eliminated it from my diet in a major way, I noticed how much that was affecting my um, general energy levels. Like I used to get massive slumps in the afternoons. And so I think it affects what we eat and, and all of that affects mm. how productive we are as well. So so yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so much we can talk about <laughs> in relation to all of this. But I guess um, what, like, so what would you say? So you've told us a little bit about your journey. So then, what were some of then the big things that you started to learn then? Um, I guess in for your own journey about giving yourself the nutrition and making your body and your health the best that it could be through using these skills mm, so much and these tools um yeah i know <laughs> that's a big question sorry i mean going going back to what you were saying about not knowing all these things about our body and how to look after ourselves and our hormones we it's you know that's that's normal actually because we're just not taught it so it really has to step back and you know young young girls being taught at school and by their mums. So your girls are so lucky to have you, Natalie, because you are invested in educating and teaching them. So that's wonderful. Uh, for looking after myself, I guess, or any woman really, is it's very holistic. So nutrition plays such a big role. Of course, nutrition is the foundation of our health. So I really had to learn to not, I wasn't afraid of food, but I guess from seeing again that product, your product of your environment and being around women that were really restricting what they ate, I almost thought that that was normal and what I should do. So it's re reshaping the way I was thinking about food and looking at it as my fuel and as medicine. So really, really being conscious of not restricting what you eat and eating to fill yourself up, feeling satiated, you know. Um, not being afraid of complex carbohydrates because we really need complex carbohydrates for our hormones, not being afraid of essential fatty acids. I think there is that time where there was a lot of girls and I see, I see, still see a lot of girls in my clinic that are afraid of fats, but we need fats. Um, hormones are created from cholesterol. So we need fat to create cholesterol and to create hormones. So 
really not being scared of these food groups and eating enough in the day, being mindful of your exercise, um, not over-exercising. That's one thing I really was doing that was a really big detriment to my health uh, because it actually, when we're over-exercising, we're in a predominant fight or flight state. We've got cortisol and adrenaline pumping through our body. And that's perfectly fine in short bursts. But then if you're stressed and anxious in your day-to-day life, it's just compounding and it's fuel to that anxiety fire and stress fire. So really being conscious of having a balance in exercise, doing cardio, but also, again, I, I link this back to our cycle and different phases of the cycle, women are more energetic and can recover more easily from exercise. So a really nice way is to kind of look at your cycle and go, when I'm bleeding, maybe take that time for rest, you know, more stretches in the lounge room, more slow walks. And then in the follicular phase, which is after menstruation, your um, energy is starting to increase. And Actually, interestingly, as your hormones increase, this is why this is why it occurs. So, as estrogen increases, your um, serotonin and dopamine, your feel-good hormones increase. So, you're feeling more lively and bright and energetic. So, that's a really good part of your cycle to be incorporating maybe a little bit more of um, yoga or Pilates or a bar class. And then, when you get to ovulation, which is mid-cycle you are your strongest, your strongest, fitter self, your muscles recover more easily. So that's a really good part of your cycle to be doing more of that high cardio or high intensity. And then as you move into the luteal phase after ovulation, you'll notice an energy dip. You'll notice you know, as your hormones drop down, you might not feel as energetic. So just kind of looking at that and really working with yourself, not comparing yourself to others and thinking that you have to go to a PT every day and perform at the same pace. I used to think that (laughs) and push myself and it really was a detriment. So, you know, nutrition, exercise and stress management is really, really important as well because like I was saying, stress is, it literally robs us of our sex hormones. So, I had to really learn to manage my stress and learn to manage my anxiety. And it's one of those things. It's a, it's an ongoing, you know, it's, we're always going to have stress in our lives. It's, it's unrealistic to think we won't, but if we can find ways to manage it, we're really going to support our hormones and our overall well-being and menstrual cycle. Yeah. And so a lot of people who, um, I think follow me and listen to this podcast probably already have young children. Um, you know, this is, I know certainly the people who are in my courses, you know, many of them have got either very young children or children who've just gone to school. And, um, so obviously you might have a bit of sleep deprivation into Mm. the mix and they might not have time to do lots of different types of exercises. But I think that from what I understand, um, and maybe you can shine a bit more light on this, but being aware of your cycle just in terms of like being kind to yourself during mm. certain periods or giving yourself more grace or, you know, being in tune with what's happening with your body so you can then show up in terms of being a mother and even a business owner and being aware of, you know, the juggle that you're trying to sort of achieve and the balance that you're trying to strive for. 
how that works with other areas of your life as well. So I guess, like I said, being a parent and also being, if you've got a, a business as well that you're trying to run as well as managing all these <laughs> responsibilities, plus being in a relationship, of course, as well. Absolutely. 100%. That's it. It's just understanding where you're at in your cycle. You can be more gentle with yourself because we are, I think as women, we're, we are absolute multitaskers. You know, we juggle so many things in our lives and we do a seriously great job at it. But if you drop a ball, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. And sometimes going, mm, thinking about where you are in your cycle and hormones, it can kind of give you a little bit of a reasoning as to why you're feeling a bit low in energy or just not as sprightly. So yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So can you tell me what actually is a naturopath and what is, because it's sort of one of those words, like if you haven't been to a naturopath, you might not know actually what a naturopath is and, and how is that different perhaps from going to a nutritionist mm. or someone else within those kind of, um, I don't know if you, would you classify it as alternative medicine? Yeah. I know that, you know, it's not conventional, like going to a GP. So how is that different even to going to your local GP? If you're experiencing something and you're not feeling great and you're trying to kind of get to the root of it and find a solution. Yeah. So yes, it is alternate medicine. A naturopath basically looks at you as a person as a whole so we really it's we use it's called holistic health and holistic healing meaning we look at what you're eating um how you're sleeping how your um, stress is um what you do for work your environment you know if you're exposed to chemicals and toxins we really take into <clears throat> And we, we look at everything that's going on in your world to how that's impacting your health. So how this is different, uh, what a naturopath basically does. So in a consultation, we have a lot longer together. So my initial consultation is 75 minutes, whereas a consultation with a doctor is usually about 15 minutes max. So we're very lucky in the sense that we have a lot more time to get to know each other and really dig deeply into your case history and what's been going on in your life to get you to this point of health. Um, what I utilize for for supporting your body back to healing is nutrition, lifestyle, which takes into account stress, sleep, um, exercise, how you're nourishing yourself. Um, nutritional medicine, so supplemental medicine and herbal medicine. So I practice um, evidence-based medicine. So uh, many of what I prescribe is backed up by science or much of what I prescribe is backed up by science uh, and traditional evidence as well, because it, we, unfortunately, unlike the wonderful Western medicine, we don't have as much money going into research. So that's something that really needs to be worked on in the future, I believe, to kind of boost us in, uh, in a medical modality. How we differ from nutritionists is we have herbal medicine to use in our toolbox. So that's why I did swap from nutrition to naturopathy. Um, so it, it, it can just work on different body systems. Herbal medicine is wonderful for supporting hormones so, and the immune system, so many different body systems, digestive system. Uh, so I guess how we differ 
from a doctor is we're, we're natural. We don't use synthetic chemicals or medications. We really try at one of our, I guess, principles is first do no harm. So really, really working with the body and ensuring that what we prescribe is not going to make a situation worse. If we're giving something, it's not going to result in another symptom in another body system. So yeah, it, it's quite an amazing modality. I really, really enjoy what I do. And I think that it, we work wonderfully with other modalities. So I work with GPs all the time. So I think that it's complementary medicine is where we excel when we all work together. Yeah. So one of the things um, that I really also admire about what you do is, like I said, you're you're very clear on what you share in terms of your audience and so on. And so I think that um, it's really interesting, I guess, how you go about doing your work as well, that you share um, obviously on Instagram, but you do on online consultations. So how do you kind of go from studying to then building up a client base? Because this is something that people often ask me in my course. And even though it's obviously a different field, I do think it's always interesting to hear about people's journeys as, as a business owner, you know, going from, okay, you've got your certificate or whatever it is that you've got, but then going to actually finding people or how do people find you when initially, especially in those early days? Yes. So such a good question and a very um, (laughs) worrisome time, I guess, when you transition out of uni to think, how on earth am I going to create a business? I worked out, I lived in Sydney for many years. We moved to Byron just at the end of October last year in 2019. I worked at a beautiful clinic called Orchard Street and I uh, I I think that was really helpful for me because I was putting into practice what I was learning while I was still at school. So I was dispensing herbs and meeting people. And I guess I started building my business while I was at school as well. I started my Instagram page and I started a blog and a website uh, and just started putting out information. I thought if I can just share education, it's putting me into the, it's making me well, definitely not an expert yet as I was still at school, but, you know, putting me in that position to understand and share insight on topics I was interested in. And I just hoped that that would sort of attract people that were needing, seeking help with this. So I guess slowly, slowly, Instagram, website, talking to people locally, and I started practising out of a clinic in Sydney called Nimbus and Co. And I again just took the leap of faith. I only started practicing two days a week after school. And the first few weeks it was just crickets. There was no <laughs> but I didn't expect to be having lineups of clients. But I, you know, I just I sort of it really was just keep on keeping on in my mind and keep putting yourself out there and talking to people and I did a, you know, an initial sale or initial like deal two for one or something like that if I recall correctly and it really just was an organic growth and I think transitioning when we moved that was the next hurdle when I transitioned clinic online to Zoom predominantly I thought oh my gosh is this going to work you know I have built up a client base in Sydney but 
it really did work. You know, at the start, it I wasn't as busy, but now I feel so fortunate because I get to see women from all over the world and support them on their health journey. And I really think my best advice with that is just keep showing up. Some weeks, naturopathy, you know, it's it's an industry, and especially as a clinician, not everyone who studies naturopathy goes into clinical practice, but I was really passionate about this. But it does, it comes in ebbs and flows. Not every week is going to be fully booked and that's just the nature of it. So I also write and I, I do workshops and I um, program creating programs. So really diversifying what my offerings are because that also allows you to target different people and their interests and what how they want to sort of approach their health. Not everyone can see someone one-on-one in clinic. Um, they prefer maybe to do sort of a six-week course. So I've just sort of tried to really diversify my offerings and that's been really helpful and always keeps me busy. So how would you say is the breakup then of how people have found you? Do most people come through word of mouth or like more and more through Instagram, for instance, how do most people find you? I would say probably 50-50. Actually, you know, I would probably say more through Instagram. I'd say Instagram is my best marketing tool. I don't have many marketing tools, (laughs) (laughs) but it has been such a wonderful platform. It's free. It gives you this um, platform to be able to build a community and meet new interesting people. But also, again, it it allows you to be found, you know, very, very easily. Uh, so that has been such a wonderful platform for me for gaining clients and um, building my community, I guess. And then, of course, word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so other than doing your consultations are there other things that you work on in relation to I guess consulting with people in some way or sharing your knowledge or you know reaching out to people yeah so I am in the process of creating a program that is more specifically focused on supporting women and their hormones and finding balance with their hormones so I'm working on that I also offer workshops so Pre-COVID, I had a few plans in in Sydney and the Gold Coast, but uh, I swapped these on to online once everything hit and we were all in isolation. So I've been doing, it's actually been really lovely, especially through that lockdown time, doing big group workshops via Zoom. So I will also start those back locally because it's so lovely to, to meet people in person. And the workshop is called living in alignment with your cycle and it is just teaching women about the about their menstrual cycle about their hormones and how they ebb and flow throughout the menstrual cycle and how to live in alignment with these like we were briefly talking about with exercise uh, and nutrition so the workshops and I'm also the beauty columnist for wellbeing magazine so i write evidence-based articles for them on how to support your beauty from the inside out with natural medicine and i was wondering have you had any mentors along the way with your journey of being a naturopath or sort of your learning journey i guess 
That's a really good question. I've never had, I've never had a mentor per se. I would actually really love a mentor. I've been on the look for a lookout for one this year. Uh, I've definitely had people I look up to and certainly practitioners who I aspire to follow in their footsteps. Like Lara Bryden is amazing. She is, uh, works very heavily with the menstrual cycle and, um, Dr. Libby Weaver is wonderful as well. There's so many wonderful naturopaths that are just paving the way forward, but I haven't had a mentor per se. No. Yeah. What about with business? Have you, you seem very kind of onto it or are you just really good at Google searches? <laughs> Do you know what? It's quite funny. I, I, I haven't had a business mentor either. I am an avid researcher and I really go down rabbit holes and try and figure out how to do everything myself. But that also can be at the detriment to my detriment because I end up recently trying to figure out which program to, uh, host the program that I'm creating on. And I go down these rabbit holes and I spend way too long trying to figure it out. So I would love to have a business mentor as well. I, I have some, I look up to my best friend, Tess Robinson, who I know, you know, she's an amazing businesswoman and we always have great chats. And if ever I have a question, I can always pick her brain, but I, I haven't, I've, I've really kind of just seen, seen what other people do and tried to figure out how they've done it and yeah. do a good good old Google search and go down a bit yeah. of a rabbit hole. Yeah. No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, many of us have kind of found our way that way. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about as well was, um, so if you've got any kind of really big and helpful tips for other people in terms of how can they optimize their energy um, or their their health. Um, certainly in Australia at the moment, we're going into, well, we are in winter, although it doesn't always feel quite so wintry when we're living in the Byron region. But what, you know, what are some things that are either often overlooked by women as a way to optimize their energy or their health or things that, um, that they can just do, you know, within their daily lives. Have you got anything that you could share for that? Yeah. So I think the first one for energy is really being conscious of not relying on caffeine. It is. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> I mean, I, I love chai. I, I used to love coffee. I still love coffee, but coffee doesn't love me. It right. Doesn't, it can make me feel really anxious at times. So it's, you know, I think it's really just being mindful of not relying on, on it for your energy because after all, it is fake energy. So we really want to be nourishing ourselves through sleep and our diet. Um, to, to have real energy and, you know, to, to be understanding of what our energy stores really are. It's not a problem to have a coffee once a day and really sit there and enjoy it. And, and it's a part of your daily ritual, but you know, if you're having three a day or reaching for one at 3 PM, just to get through, I would suggest instead maybe have a big glass of water or a green tea or get up from your desk and go for a walk outside, get some fresh air, do some star jumps, <laughs> get some circulation flowing through your body. 
or have a nutritious snack like some handful of nuts or some hummus and crackers or half an avocado, something like that that will really, I think we, we can be quite habitual in reaching for a cup of coffee instead of just tuning in and going, maybe I'm just really overdoing this work and I've been sitting at my desk for way too long. I'll pop up and I'll get another burst of energy. Um, increasing water, that's another really big one. Um, 60% of our body is made of water. So if we are only slightly dehydrated, we can feel really low in energy and quite just foggy headed and lethargic. So women are, require two liters of water a day and men three liters and more if we exercise. So really being conscious. Often I see a lot of women in my clinic who don't drink enough water. But in winter, you can have, you can drink up herbal teas. So that all counts for your water, um, getting your water totals each day. Uh, and I guess for energy as well, I'd be saying really be conscious of your sleep. And I know it's hard when you have little ones, you know, it's very, it's easier said than done to say, get eight hours of good quality sleep when you're up breastfeeding or up, you know, with a crying little one. So I guess. Um, research has actually shown that if you can get to bed before 10 p.m., actually it's more beneficial for your circadian rhythm. We get into a deeper REM sleep um, and we have a, a better quality of sleep, even if you're having to wake up f- a few times through the night. So really trying to ha- have good sleep hygiene, getting into bed, not playing on your phone um, or watching kind of Netflix because that interferes with your melatonin production. And if we can have a good sleep, even if it's interrupted, but you're falling back to sleep again, you're going to feel the world of difference the next day. Yeah, that was a big one for me, actually, when my children were very little, that sort of when they were waking up a lot is that I used to try and make sure I was in bed by, say, nine o'clock so that Mm. even if they woke up at, say, one o'clock in the morning, that then I'd still had like a big chunk of sleep. And, um, yeah, that, that certainly helped me. And I know also the water thing that has Mm. also been a big thing for me, even though I've always drunk water, but I, one of the things that I do, which helps me is that sometimes if I feel like, oh, I'm feeling like I want something sweet. Cause like I said, I I do have a very sweet tooth and I will make myself have a big drink of water first. Mm. And then often it's sort of, then I feel quite full after that and, it sort of takes away that craving a little bit. Mm, so can you share? Tip. Yeah. <laughs> um, so can you kind of give us a bit of an insight into, I guess, like your day in terms of what you eat perhaps and like how you kind of fit in exercise and sleep and and even maybe when you work, like do you try and do certain work tasks in the morning or like do you mm. work throughout your day? How How does your kind of daily rhythms and routines go of course so I wake up around 6 30 in in winter in summer I wake up earlier around six quarter to six because my husband he gets up really early at 5 30 so I'm always sort of awake but then I'll drift off um I always wake up and have a big glass of water because I'm super thirsty in the morning and then I will do a stretch in my lounge room it's super slow yeah can I just ask you, so with the water, I know some people say like have lemon in it or, or, you know, have warm water. Like, do you do that or do you just have just regular tap water? Well, not, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's yeah. filtered or something, but 
What do I you used do? To, I used to have my lemon water. I used to be really religious about it, but that's gone out the window. Now I just have filtered water. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I just have filtered water. Um, and then I have a slow stretch in the lounge room, really, really slow, just wake my body up. I always feel really stiff in the morning. And then I'll either go for a walk. We are very fortunate and we live right in front of the beach. So I'll go for a beach walk or I'll go and do the lighthouse walk. Or pre-COVID again, I would go and do a Pilates class or yoga, something like that. I'm, I'm, I prefer low intensity exercise. I'm really not a runner or a high intensity exercise girl. I really don't like it. <laughs> so it's always something slow. And if I'm tired, I won't exercise at all. I'll literally just have a stretch, make a cup of tea. I'm a sucker for chai or an English breakfast tea. Uh, and I will sip that out on the balcony and read a book or just have a, I really try and have a slow morning. I, that has been such a huge beneficial ritual to incorporate in my day prior to kind of getting up and rushing around like a headless chook. I really noticed I felt far more anxious in my day and stressed and strung out. So I really try and keep that at least an hour for myself in the morning. I don't turn my phone on. I don't kind of wake up with the world. I just wake up with myself. And And can I just ask with the book, like, is that like a literary book, like, you know, sort of a a fiction book or do you like to read like um, nonfiction, like meditation type style books or what is it like, you know, what are you, or business or I don't know, like what is it that you're reading at that time? (laughs) A bit of everything. I often have two or three books on the go at once. I had this really, a few years ago, I would just read so many self-help books and hormonal books and naturopathic books and then I just got so over it I thought I really need to escape from this this is just all consuming so I I really love fiction books I love historical fiction also if I or or just I would pop in pop into my bookshelf and just pull out a herb book and flick through it and just get me up to scratch or learn something new about a different herb so it's it's nothing too serious in the mornings, I just try and take it really easily. And I also meditate. So I uh, practice Vedic meditation, except I, I'm, I'm bad at practicing Vedic meditation in the sense that I don't practice for 15 or I think it's actually 20 minutes morning and night. I just do it once a day. And I am not hard on myself about this because I think if you can sit there for 10 minutes, it's better than not doing it at all in my point of view. I'm not sure if um, Vedic meditators will agree with that, but <laughs> this is the way that it works for me. And so that's sort of my morning. And then I will flow into work. I practice in clinic three days a week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And as mentioned before, I practice on Zoom. So it's a really lovely flow for me during the day. I I really try and give myself space because when I first started practicing in clinic, I would book myself out and not give myself time to just go and have a cup of tea and a snack. And I've, I felt really burnt out because it is, it's holding space for others. And I absolutely love that. And I want to give them the time and what they deserve. So being my, feeling my best is really, really important for holding space for others and supporting other women on their health journeys. And then 
of an afternoon, Locke will come home and in in summer we would go down to the beach or go for a surf. I'm learn very much learner. <laughs> Learning to Story surf. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's such a challenge. Um, but now that it's winter, we have just been cooking dinner really early and reading or pottering around home or watching a movie or nothing too crazy. So it's it's a really it's life has slowed down a lot since being up here in the Byron region to Sydney. We we mainly are social on the weekends, whereas in Sydney we'd be a lot more social during the week. But I'm really liking that. So Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I also quite liked when I was contacting you by email was that you had a message to say that whatever it was, the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that you're in clinic and you won't respond to emails on those days. And I think that that's a beautiful boundary to set this idea of separating, like when are you going to focus on your clinic work Mm -hmm. and when will you do your writing or your Instagram or whatever it is? Like, is that... Uh, something that you're very deliberate about and have you kind of learned the hard way or is that just the way that you work or can you kind of share a little bit about that the boundaries that you've created and and how you kind of break up your time absolutely that's such a good question I struggled a lot with boundaries and I knew as my personality I'm really I really like to be there for people if someone contacts me I really want to get back to them and not leave them hanging and I knew that that would be a really tricky thing for me in, as a clinician because you need to set up boundaries. It's really important, not only for yourself, but also for your patients because they, you know, it's it's like anything. You sort of know when you can and when you will have support and when it's best to sort of just hold those questions and wait for the next consultation because it can be initially I, you can have a lot of questions and, of, of course, I always endeavour to answer them if they're very important, but sometimes they can be like, Oh, you know, something that maybe doesn't need as a, a response as quickly. And it really can just start clogging up your inbox and making you sort of not be able to give the practice, give the patients time that you have on that day. So it actually, I was really nervous to set that. This sounds so funny. I was really nervous to set up that email responder. And I actually spoke to Locke about it and I was like, does this sound like, you know, I'm not going to be there for people. And he's like, not at all. It's just creating those boundaries. So I actually, one of my good girlfriends, and I look up to her as a, as a practitioner, her name's Erin, and she's a naturopath, and she has a re- autoresponder. And I thought, you know what, this is just such a great idea. So I I put it on and it really has just given me a bit of felt a bit of more ease in not having to rush to respond to people because I'm not on my emails every day. And if I am going to do my best at writing and creating other um, offerings for um, my community, then I really need to create that space off emails and um, have solid hours of work on writing or on certain projects. So that's how that was created. Any boundary other than that, I guess I, I'm really conscious to not use my phone and text clients. I always try and email only because A, I'm really bad on my phone <laughs> and it takes me ages to respond. I actually always have my phone on do not disturb. So it just goes to voicemail again because I felt like 
I was being access. It was I was accessible from so many platforms. You know, yes. Instagram, email, Facebook, phone, and it felt really overwhelming for me. So I pulled back a lot on those platforms, um, and I now I'm really deliberate about. If you need to contact me, please contact me by email and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Same with Instagram. I really try and create um, boundaries around Instagram and sort of do um, block replies rather than constantly back and forth. And that's just, it's just my personality. Some people are probably incredible at multitasking on all platforms. I just felt really overwhelmed with um, having so many different platforms and and maybe forgetting someone somewhere and worrying about not responding so yes no i, I can com- completely understand that and i think it's yeah. a a quality versus quantity i guess question you know like yeah. it's yeah i mean there's so many different ways that we can interact now but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a quality response and i have people ask me stuff by dm on um instagram as well and and i just think this is not like for me to be typing with my thumbs. Like this is not the best way for me to re- be responding. Like for a start, I'm so much faster as a touch typer and, and I can, can think clearly and I can create a better response. And yeah, so anyway, I find that interesting. So before mm. you go, I do want to ask you a little bit about Instagram because like I said, I do think you use it so well. Um, what have been some of the big lessons that you have learned about it and what how do you go about using it and do you like re pre-write your um posts like in bulk and like just upload it at a certain time or can you just share a little bit about how you use the medium and um yeah how it's worked for you yeah so as mentioned before i think instagram is such a wonderful business tool i know that it can be a bit of a vortex for a lot of people and it you know research has shown that it for mental health and well-being it's it's not the greatest so i think it's really important to use it correctly if you can you know for your business and i i only have a business account it it meshes with my personal account but i so i really try and not be on instagram all the time at all i actually do block post my posts um i use a platform called latergram so you can literally schedule, you can upload and schedule all your posts. You can block write the comments um, and then it just gives you a little bit of alert saying post today at 5 p.m. I usually do that each week, but sometimes I'm really slack. If I've had a really busy week in clinic, I might only post, I might post on the fly. Uh, like I've, the last couple of weeks, I haven't been on social media for a um, quite, uh, I haven't been on for a little while just because there's been so much going on in the world and I didn't really think I was going to share anything that was necessary at this moment. So it does come in waves, but I try and really pop them in, pop my posts into latergram. So it's not something I have to think of in the week and it's just done and dusted. I guess, what else did you want to know about? <laughs> well, yeah, like, if, yeah, if you if it's pre-planned or, um, and, and I guess one of the things as well is that you seem to have a very clear sense of who you're writing to. Is that something that's very deliberate? Like I, you know, I've sort of read lots of different things in relation to 
certainly if it's other types of writing, having an idea of your ideal client or your ideal customer or, you know, are you, do you have that person? Do you have someone that you're thinking about when you write? I do. I never used to. Again, this is, this has come just purely through who I see in clinic and what I love and what I'm passionate about as well. You know, I, it, it may, a post may be triggered from what I've seen in clinic that week. For example, um, a woman with amenorrhea, so she doesn't have a period at all, similar to what I had. And I'll pop something, okay, how can, there's certainly more women out there like this. How can I direct this post to those women? Um, but I do really try and, I really try and have all my posts targeted around hormones, the reproductive system and fertility, because that's a, how I practice and what I'm passionate about, but that's also who I'd love to, I guess, bring forward into the community. So it is very deliberate. Yes. I used to post a lot more broadly with naturopathic medicine. So about digestion or the immune system, for example, but now I really try and focus it primarily on female health and hormones. And do you find that that's been better, like as a, from a business point of view, to be more specific? I do. I think yeah. I, I, similarly to what you said, I, I really have read a lot about knowing your target market. You know, you can't, you can't please everyone and you really just have to know your niche. And we were actually taught that at school as well. You know, pick something that you love, pick something you're passionate about and go down that route because you're going to be more successful. You can't know everything. And there is just so much to learn. I certainly don't know everything. I'll be a forever student. But if, and if I'm posting things that are interesting to me, that's also helpful because it makes you be, you know, you can keep up with doing it and be inspired to do it. Yeah, that's a beautiful point to end on. Now, I've just got a few other little questions to ask you. Um, in many ways, this podcast has come about um, a continuation of a blog that I had for many years. And I just think it's a nice way to get a little bit more of an insight into you and, and your journey. So they're just whatever kind of comes to mind. Okay. So which, which five words best describe you? Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? Describing yourself. Definitely empathetic very empathetic. I feel everything. <laughs> um, strong-willed or maybe Lockie would say stubborn. <laughs> um, I'm loyal. I'm independent, I'm a very independent woman. I think I learned that from my mom raising three children by herself. Um, and Locke would say vivacious. So I'll pop that in as well. Okay. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> What's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Don't be afraid to take a risk. I think it's there's, you're forever taking risks in business and, you know, being afraid can really hold yourself back. So don't be afraid to take a risk and be gentle with yourself as well. Yep. Um, what's your proudest career achievement? Oh, my gosh. I guess when I stop and think, about that when I when I was at school at university and I would think of where I would love to be when I finished I'd have to say here I'd have to say this is my biggest achievement doing what I love and being able to work remotely in a beautiful part of Australia so I 
practicing online, seeing women from all over the world, supporting women and, and loving what I do. So I guess, I guess just being where I am now is a big achievement in yeah. my eyes. That's great. What's been your best decision? Mm, marrying Lockie. <laughs> <laughs> he is a very nice guy. I can He's understand. a wonderful man. <laughs> um, who inspires you? My mum, my grandfather, my friends. I guess anyone who is doing what they're passionate about and following their dreams, they inspire me. So what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about making a positive change in the world, I guess, in my small, small way. But I'm very passionate about educating and inspiring and empowering women to understand their health and their hormones and their fertility. I think that at times the medical industry can be quite disempowering. So I really, really strive to instill faith in women that they can trust the wisdom of their body. Yeah. So true. Which person, living or dead, would you most like to meet? Oh, my goodness. What a good question. <laughs> and so hard, so many people. But I would actually have to say Hippocrates, who oh. is an ancient Greek physician who's known as the father of medicine. He would be amazing to yeah. pick his brain. <laughs> yeah. That would be pretty cool. Um, what dream do you still want to fulfill? I would love to visit schools and teach young women about their periods and their menstrual health. Oh, yes, yes. That is, I mean, like I said, I've got this interesting journey ahead with me with my young girls and I'm certainly going to be educating myself as much as possible. But certainly when I was at school, um, yeah, there was just nothing. I mean, I was actually got my mm. periods quite early and I didn't even know what it was and I had to go to the school nurse and I said, um, you know, what's happening? And she mm. said, here you go. Like gave me a sanitary towel and said, talk to your mum. And that was it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know. I know. This is it. Oh, I just love that. It would be so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's very important. Um, what are you reading right now? What is that morning book for you? It's three, I'm reading Three Women by Lisa, how do you pronounce her last name? Tadio, I think it is. Okay. Yes, it's one of, it's a number one seller. It's interesting. Is it's it? A, uh, it's actually non, I think it's nonfiction. I think it's based on real women's stories. Okay, great. Hmm. Are you listening to any podcasts at the moment? Many, but my favorite is Goop. I love Goop. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. And what advice would you give to your younger self? Last question. Hold the vision and trust the process. I think it's really important. I spent too too many years worrying about the future and just be gentle with yourself. Take your time. It will all unfold as it should. Yes. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Thank mm. you so much, Emma, for joining me today. We've had a few little technical glitches in this recording, which hopefully will be all ironed <laughs> out. So thank you for your patience. Um, I've really oh. enjoyed learning more from you. And I will share, obviously, all links to your sites and Instagram, everything on the show notes. Um, but I do encourage everyone to follow you because I have learned so much just in those little squares. Mm. 
So um, thank you for sharing your wisdom and all the best to you. And uh, hopefully we can meet in real life one day. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I've loved this conversation and I can't wait to meet you in real life. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care. Bye. And that was Emma Rabbage, a naturopath and amazing educator on women's health. For more inspiring interviews, head on over to nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast, where you'll also find show notes for today's episode. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe wherever you're listening to it today. And don't forget to rate and review us. It would mean so much if you could spread the love on social channels too. And if you have any suggestions on who you'd like to hear from, I'm always open to requests and recommendations. You can send me a DM on Instagram at Natalie Walton or email podcast at nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Yeager Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded. I look forward to connecting again with you soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.